0: In this episode, I get to sit down with Matt from the Pickle Dragon, where we talk about gaming and his new module that has been released. So stay tuned. If you're enjoying these episodes, first, I want to thank you for your listenership. Your support means the world to me. And for those of you who are just tuning in to the podcast, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And after this episode, leave us an honest review. Hopefully it's a five star review, but leave us an honest review. Your reviews actually help me um, gauge what you all want in the audience, but your reviews, especially when they're a five star, help the channel grow. So be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave that review. Three, two, one, and we're live. Matt, thank you for joining me. Um, I'm really excited to be. You know, well, virtually here with you, and um, you know, for the folks out there listening, it's Matt, the Pickled Dragon, that is on. Um, you you may know him from his vast collection of gaming material, uh, minis, terrain. I mean, I mean, you have an awesome collection that I I shouldn't say I'm jealous of or envious of because that I feel that has a lot of <laughs> negative connotation. But I hope to have that level of collection one day sir just saying
1: well I, you know i'm really really happy to be here i'm happy i'm get get the chance to be on with uh the great bearded nerd himself you know
0: that's a huge um, compliment man i mean i i you're you're one of the i and i'm not just saying this so the audience knows i'm i kind of I'm, I'm a little bit too real sometimes you're one of the powerhouses in the community man like you have all this gaming knowledge and you're laying it out there. I mean, I mean, you've written plenty of books you've, of like adventure books, you know, pretty much like ever since that's actually why I followed you because you were writing all these adventure books and it's just, it's great to have you on the show and kind of picking your brain, sir. So I really do appreciate that.
1: Well, again, I'm happy to be here. This is, this is a lot of fun just so you be able to get to sit down and talk gaming and, and, uh, you know. It's it's uh it's one of my passions, obviously. So,
0: well, and and I and you know, and one thing that we were talking a little bit about before the show, like you've been gaming for a a good bit of time. Um, do you remember when you first picked up, or when you when you first saw, you know, D and D or anything related to D and D? Like, what were your initial thoughts when you when you picked up that book or that you know? game piece whatever it would have whatever it was
1: well i i actually have a very clear memory of the very well i shouldn't say very first but i do have a very clear memory of a, a, an early exposure to the game and it was my brother mm-hmm. um he would go down the street to his friend's house and they this was like 79 or 80 1979 or 80 and they go down the street and they would they would play and they they started with a d and d Okay. Um, and he would come home, and he would tell me stories. And the earliest stories I remember, he was he came home. He's so excited because they just defeated a genie. And I don't know why this story sticks out in my head, but I'm like, a genie, I knew what a genie was. Obviously, it's. Uh, and I was thinking, I was like, why well, did you do that? And he explained what they did and all the action and how his friend Scott died but they managed to defeat the genie and they got all this treasure including a vorpal sword that was my first uh and I'm like vorpal sword what does that do and I remember him breaking the the eraser off of a of a pencil mm-hmm. and he was like imagine this is your imagine this is the monster's head and he would you know, and he was moving it off, off and on. And I was, you know, I was a young kid at the time. And, and I'm like, man, I got to, I want to do this. And he goes, well, next time we'll have the game here and you'll play. And, and so my very first character, uh, Zorad, the assassin was born and, uh, and it just kind of took off from there. But yeah, it was all my brothers doing. And it's funny. Cause we, like we were talking, he, he, he was more of a sports guy. So mm-hmm. Um, as soon as he hit high school, he was football team and baseball and all that stuff. And for sure, and he never. And then he stopped playing. And he just gave all his all of his books to me and everything. So, but well, yeah, that was that was my earliest memory.
0: Well, you inherited. I'm assuming you inherited a, a good bit of the collection, and then just started adding on. Because um, that's man, your collection is pretty intense. Did you just start? Did you start collecting when you received? all that stuff from your brother or did you kind of like stop and then start again and then, and go on and off?
1: Well, <clears throat> my brother had the three core books
0: mm-hmm.
1: and he had, um I think he had one or two modules like the village of Hamlet and uh tomb of horrors. I think of those okay. two modules he had was the village of Hamlet and tomb of horrors. And, um, but my, Early on, I was when I was a kid, I had really bad learning disabilities. I had dyslexia, trouble reading. Um, and there weren't a whole lot of services offered at the time for, for kids like that. I mean, there were some, but they were only over the summers. So during the actual school year when you actually needed it the most, you weren't getting the services. And, you know, even when you would go in to try to work through it, it's it's hard to get excited reading dick and jane or whatever yeah. terrible terrible resources they they laid at your feet to try to work you through these problems but what my parents noticed was like you know i'd pick up the monster Manual, i'd look through the pictures and i would really struggle to read the descriptions but i would manage to do it and my parents realized man i don't care what other other people say about this game you know if he enjoys it and he actually is willing to try to read it um, and I really wanted to play really bad, but they wouldn't tell me the rules. They said, you have to read it. And if you read it, we'll buy you anything D and D related you want it. So I'm like, deal. <laughs> <laughs> and so my parents would just, every time anything would come out, every time I, you know, I would go, uh, uh, we didn't have a game store at the time. We went to black's hardware, black okay. uh, hardware store that had a gaming section. And I would just say, I want this now. And they'd be like, all right, you know, and, uh, and so I, I was really fortunate enough to have parents who not only supported the hobby, but had the, had the, um, I guess the, the, uh, insight to know that, Hey, this could be used
2: as motivation
1: as, as motivation to, to work through these problems this kid has. And, uh, so I, I have a very deep respect for, my parents for that, not only my parents, but I, you know, for all the the people that, the Gygaxes and the the uh, Arnisons and all the folks that that developed the game, because, man, I don't know where I'd be without without discovering D anD. d Because, you know, it's it's such a difficult hole to dig out of, especially that at in that time frame, you know.
0: I, I think that, and you know, you hit something that I feel like other folks in the audience. Um, have kind of traversed through, right? They've, you know, we all have to deal with certain things, whether it's learning disabilities, um, whether it's other, you know, whether it's a mental health, you know, something they're struggling with within their mental health, um, or something else, right? I mean, I I know plenty of people who have used gaming and have said that gaming pretty much saved um, their life because it, you know. It helped them focus on something other than a particular, excuse me, past that they had or that they were, or something that they were suffering through. And I think that tabletop gaming provides that. It provides and offers that place where you can create, you can be creative and you can be um, yourself and learn and, you know, learn the environment in different ways. Now, did you only play D&D or did D&D kind of, you know, that was a continuous thing. And as you were growing up and whatnot, you started picking up other games. Like how how did that happen?
1: Um, No, we we played a big variety of games and we went through phases. D&D was always kind of the go-to. So I would say two thirds of the time we played D&D. Okay, but we played Star Frontiers, um, Top Secret, Gangbusters, uh, a lot of Marvel superheroes. The okay, 80, yep, a lot of Marvel superheroes. There, in fact, there were whole summers I can remember that we didn't even uh, play D anD D. It was just Marvel superheroes. We had different groups. We had we had enough players at times where we would have a night where the villains would play Mm -hmm. and then we'd have a night where the heroes would play and then we'd have a night where the the GM would be like, okay, you guys are going to come together and each side would know their little piece of the puzzle. And then they would have to react, you know, accordingly when we would collide, so to speak. Um, and, uh, but Marvel superheroes was a, was a big one during the eighties. Um, and of course, champions. Mm-hmm. That was another one. Boot Hill. We played a lot of Boot Hill, and we loved that game because rare, very rarely would Boot Hill last more than one or two sessions because characters were so fragile.
0: Yeah, you know, one, I haven't played it, but I heard.
1: Yeah, one gunshot and you're pretty much toast. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, um, but you know, so we would always just go out with a bang. You know, yeah, um, might as well. Yeah, it was and it was a good time. Um, you know, and we just did whatever we were inspired to do at the time. Um, and usually it was based on around the movies or TV shows that were kind of out at the time. So, you know, if, if we saw dragon slayer, you know, we would, uh, return back to D and D, but you know, if we would watch an old Western or something, maybe we'd pull out boot hill or star frontiers would come out whenever, you know, when I remember when aliens came out, I designed a whole star frontiers, Campaign around the aliens, and uh, um, and I, I remember we had this tape recorder, and I would sit down and I would record like captain's logs and stuff. And so, if, oh, they, were cool. if they were exploring, they're exploring like you know, a wrecked ship, and they're trying to figure out why all these guys have big holes in their chest, and oh, we've got a captain's log and play that back, and you know, and we would do whatever we had to do to, um, to really bring the game to life as best as we can. You know, back then we, there were the lead miniatures and stuff, but it was, it was much more theater of the mind. Um, Mm -hmm. and we eventually later on in the late eighties, um, we would take mat board, you know, like for, uh, matting pictures, but full sheets of it. And we would cut it into like one and two and three inch squares and then we had some friends of ours that were pretty good artists and they would draw like orcs and dragons on them and, or they'd draw their player characters on them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and we'd use these little cutouts, um, to represent characters. Uh, but, uh, you know, mostly it was the theater of the mind. So we, we would do as much as we could to kind of create, um, or, create like an atmosphere to really immerse ourselves in that, in that game. We might even watch aliens before we would start the game. Kind, pre-
0: kind of like, um, what's the word? Kind of get yourself psyched out, get yourself yeah. in the mood for that. I, I totally understand that.
1: Yeah. Um, so it was, I mean, I guess that in a large degree, that was what would, what would motivate us to play whatever particular games at the time is what was on TV or in the movies or, um, you know, whatever we were inspired to do at the time. So
0: now when star was like, when star Wars, excuse me, was out in theaters and whatnot. And later on, I know, I was it wastelands that did an RPG for star Wars. I forget. I know I forget, I forget. And maybe I have the title completely off. I, again, I apologize to the audience out there who are listening, but I know that there was a star Wars RPG out and I think in the eighties or so that um I really, think it was like
1: a D6 based game
0: Yeah um I know that it inspired a lot of the content creators and writers of the Star Wars novels um that well now it's considered legends but that's that's a whole different topic Um <laughs> cuz I have many I evolutions I'm Which one?
1: I said it's gone through many evolutions
0: Yeah, to say the least, Um, you know, as a kid, I loved Star Wars, you know, something, and I've told the audience this plenty of times that I kind of had, my brother and I kind of had to sneak D&D around because, you know, being sons of Cuban immigrants, refugees, um, whatever you want to call it, like we, you know, Dungeons and Dragons was a little bit, you know, taboo not because they specifically had a taboo around it, but it was because we had, you know, my family had heard rumors, right? They had heard the television and rumors say, well, this is what's going on. This is what's happening with Dungeons and Dragons. And my mom and dad were like, really? That's, is that, is that really that bad of a game? Because like my dad, he read the Lord of the Rings to us. I mean, he gave, I mean, I still have, my dad's copy of the Lord of the Rings, um, you know, the Hobbit and and then the, you know, trilogy, um, in my, in my library, like I, that's one of my favorite copies of the book. And my dad was a little skeptical. So in order to not, you know, get in trouble, we would play at other kids' houses and they didn't know the rules we would just make up our own stuff. So Star Wars actually became, you know, the Star Wars, the Pokemon, the, all that, like basically, and like the Gundam wings from like eighties and nineties, like basically all that stuff that wasn't D and D was primarily our way of storytelling. And we use D and D to just really world build and tell stories because we would just pretend we were in the Lord of the Rings. So you know we kind of had to supplement other things, so what what I mean by Star Wars and why I'm bringing that up is with all the evolutions that have come about you know i i' I'm a little attached to it to say the least
1: <laughs> yeah you know we um we did enjoy Star Wars quite a bit, and I can remember um I can remember um seeing him in the theater mm-hmm. um and the thing that always struck me about them is that uh, my friends, for whatever reason, my friends were always like very, they would heavily scrutinize Star Wars where they would take, and I think it's because the story of Star Wars um, had a lot of depth to it. Mm-hmm. And you kind I of, in the, in the, in the first three movies, you know, when they bring up, say, the Clone Wars, when Obi-Wan was talking about the Clone Wars, it was like, there is obviously much more to the story than we're being shown. And it it created for us, like, I can remember having conversations where it was like, the Clone Wars, what could that possibly be about? Like, we were trying to, like, were there, like, six Obi-Wans and this is, like, the last one that eventually made it out of the war? You know, we couldn't quite figure it out at the time. Um, and I think that that's that kind of mis, mysterious depth gave it gave it a quite a. It was very interesting at the time,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and it had elements to it that you never saw um, before. And really, in a lot of ways, you don't really see now. I, I I feel like Hollywood's gotten a little bit of a rut where they're remaking everything. They are, and uh, they're and trying to
0: squeeze that last lemon juice, you know.
1: Yeah, and I and I think that there's there is there needs to be a lot more original stories be, to be told, and I think there are a lot of really great original stories out there that that could step in, but I think that it's also more of a risk for them too. You know, well, this is kind of probably guaranteed money, whereas this is well, it's a good story, but you know, are, is the public going to take off with it like that? But
3: it's a hit, yeah, or miss
1: I, Yeah, and uh, but yeah, and you were mentioning. Um, you were mentioning like kind of the satanic panic kind of thing. And, uh, it's funny cause for our experiences, we had it uh, like radical swings and in, t- in two different directions. Like my, my mom's boss saw my books in her backseat of her car and he was just flabbergasted. Just how dare you, you know, kind of thing. And she's just like, get over it. You know, it's not your business. And uh you know, and she just went to bat all day long. Whereas I had another buddy who played D D with his friend. His dad was a Catholic pre well not a Catholic, I don't remember. I I'm not very good with with religion, but mm-hmm. he was some sort of priest or pastor or, or like whatever. a
0: deacon or something.
1: Something, but that was his dad, and they played in the church.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll tell you what, like, so I'm Catholic, I'm pra- I'm a practicing Catholic. Um and I never, you see, that's the thing. My parents n- never, and again, my, my parents and my grandparents were always doing things like the, like my grandma was the typical, like she, if you said that you were hungry, she would feed you. Definitely a cultural thing. But I also know that her faith, um, you know, she, she was a very faithful woman. God rest her soul. And, when she saw the Lord of the Rings and, and the D&D stuff and all that, she was like, oh, what are you, what is that? And I told her, oh, it's like you, you're pretending you're knights and you're this and you're pretend you're like, you're, you're basically, it's, it's a medieval. I, I basically translated it from Spanish you know from English to Spanish. It's a medieval fantasy game. And again, my grandmother being a very faithful um, Catholic was like, that sounds cool like you're and she even told my parents like look at him using his imagination counting and using numbers and doing all this stuff like you know he's not getting into trouble he's not doing a bunch of stuff like there you know unfortunately there were some people there were some people in other faith denominations and, and everywhere right that were just ignorant and thankfully I had like you know, my grandmother who was like, well, she said other choice words. Cause she was a pistol. I mean, she was like one of the first, I mean, she was like a civil rights activist too, coming from Cuba. Like, you know, one of the first things she does is like come over here and start fighting for, you know, people's rights and stuff like that. So she, I, I laughed cause she was a pistol, man. She was like four eleven and just hmm. didn't take anything, but yeah, she, she had a positive impact on me. And kind of like what you were saying with your mom and with, and with your family that supported you with D and D and, unfortunately not everyone in the community has had that.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because when it came to like Marvel superheroes, mm-hmm. we were like, of course we need villains. And of course we need heroes. And like, it was very, you know, superhero esque, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but when it came to D and D and maybe it was because we were so heavily influenced by movies and stuff um we the thought of playing an evil aligned character even a neutral character like we didn't play chaotic neutral we didn't in that time frame at least for my group
2: mm-hmm.
1: the thought of playing anything but a hero was unconscionable you know it was just yeah. like of course we're heroes of course we're the good guys and so when, when people made a stink out of um, the game or demons or anything, we were always like, no, we're fighting demons. We're killing demons, you
0: know, we're. Yeah, that, yeah that, that's, that's the thing where a lot of people, I mean, I remember my church talking about it and clearly saying, no, this is not, and again, it's, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to bring religion or anything into, into the podcast or anything like that, but <clears throat> unfortunately there are a lot of people who would say, Oh, there's a pentagram. Therefore it is evil. Like they would think it's an intrinsic evil, but there as a lot of other people were like, no, you have to go beyond that. Right. Like, yeah. when I told, when I told my grandma, my four eleven 11 little grandma, yeah, I'm fighting demons. She was like, Oh, that's cool. Like, can I play?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't know. It, it just goes to show that, uh, um, you know, there are just going to be some people and I think it's like maybe a control issue for them. You know, for sure, they want to, they want to control what other people do. And uh, you know, no matter what you say, no matter how you describe to that particular group of person or group of people, it's, it's going to be, well, there's going to be a reason why it's bad. You know, there's always going to be that reason because they want to control and, at least that's my perspective on it. And well, it's so it's, it's less of, you know, it's less of, of what you're actually doing and more of, well, you're not doing what I want you to do, you know?
0: 100%, man. I think that there, there's a lot of people who, you know, on every side that you're not doing it the way that they want it to be done. So therefore, it's not right and it's not correct. So, you know, it is what it is. Those people... <clears throat> as I always say, like when people kind of doubt gaming and doubt the, the, the hobby, I always say, come to the table, come find out yeah. for yourself, hang out and play with us.
1: Yeah. And you know, we had talked about this before, but you know, at that time, and I don't, seems to me that things have changed quite a bit because you have jocks playing the game, you have band nerds playing the game. You got, but back then, you know, um, it was for at least our group and the people i interacted with at cons and that sort of thing mm-hmm. um it certainly seemed like gaming was was the place for people who didn't fit in to the social dynamics of their junior high or high school um mm-hmm. you know there was it was the one place where they could kind of become you know do their thing and since it was kind of different you know it was you know why aren't you in you know playing football Why aren't you doing this if you're a guy or if you're a girl Why aren't you doing that you know yeah. back then um
0: why aren't why aren't you fitting the status quo so to speak
1: right why why aren't you fitting in Is, yeah. is the bottom line and yeah. uh um you know and obviously we, we've i think we've come a long way i think we i think we're in a place now where it's it's much more mainstream and and mm-hmm. we 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 all have the uh you know there's there's interest at so many different levels whereas back then i can remember boy, i can remember getting flack from in schools for playing the game you know what do you do if you're fun and there were times you know i would just say oh i just hang out with my friends i i would purposely not not volunteer that information
0: of course i think um, all of us did at one point yeah um well it's and it's like you said you know the jocks playing and i mean i i mean heck i think i saw if i'm not mistaken there's pictures of you playing at joe manganello's house um and the dude's a stud like um and and i say that with all due respect to him as well like i know he's been playing for years like he has been playing he's a true blue fan and it just goes to show you that everyone play you know everyone played and even him maybe as a i don't again i don't know him personally. But it seems like everyone was drawn to D&D. Whatever, whatever, whether you were a jock and you hid it from your friends or whether you were whatever, you know, band geek and you played with your friends. Like, and, and that's actually kind of leads me to my next question. How have you, how have, like, in your opinion, how has, like, D&D and the tabletop gaming hobby changed throughout the years?
1: Um, well i think you know what's what's interesting is that um you know i it's i think it's pretty well known that that D&D started out from as a as as an extension to wargaming
2: you mm-hmm.
1: know or it started out as um you know they they were running whole, these huge battles um napoleonic or whatever and then it got to the point where it's like well what if you were the general you know, and you had to play that general leading the armies, and then eventually it was all right your your little general's gonna go into this cave and see what's in here and and um so if you look at first edition, you can the rules and most people most people I think ran first edition much closer to what basic d and d was mm-hmm. than than true blue first edition was because if you go in there it's there's a lot of crunchiness in there you know if, yeah if you're wielding a mace and the your opponent has has chain mail on or plate mail on there's all these modifiers to apply and and I think in the first the first iterations of the game of of a d and d um you saw an attempt to introduce like war gaming principles into into d and d and second edition um had similar um similar ideas in it Mm -hmm. um it was it was simplified in some ways but then they started coming out with skills and powers books which is a little bit closer to what you see today where they kind of enhanced the player's abilities and so forth um and then third edition it got even crunchier there was you know modifiers of plus 30 for things and you could apply feats and skills in a million different applications And it, and, you know, Pathfinder was much the same way. Um, But now today there was this move away from, away from, you know, the the crunchy numbers and all of the millions and millions of rules and fifth edition brought it to a place where I think it was much more um, um, open to, to new players. It was simplified and, and, it took a step back, I think closer to, um, a lot of people say closer to the first and second edition, but I think it took a step back closer to more like a basic edition. Um, yeah. at least, um uh, 'cause cause I think people forget in those first, like I said, there, there was a lot of crunchy rules in there.
0: Yeah,
1: um, uh, but it's, it became, it became something that, that, um, people could learn a, a lot much more quickly and much much e- more easily, and it opened the door to all, like you know, obviously thousands, if not tens of thousands, of new players worldwide. That maybe you know, if if it had been third edition or, um, or, you know, if the, if if fifth edition had been closer to some of these other editions in the crunchiness, I don't know that that we would have seen the renaissance that we have today of of young players coming into the game.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with you. Cause I actually, po- as of the time of this recording, um, episode 32 of the podcast came out, which is I compared D&D with Pathfinder because those are, you know, some of the bigger, in, in the current day, it's some of the bigger role-playing, medieval role-playing type, you know, like RPG, fantasy RPG style games, you know, whatever have you. In my opinion, rather, it is. Um, cause when, when I think of, you know, role-playing game, I think, oh yeah, Pathfinder or D D. Um, I think of that maybe it's, you know, whether it be my lack of knowledge or whatever it may be, but those are the things that immediately pop up. And there's, there's a bit of a difference. Like I think fifth edition has done a lot, like you said, to create this renaissance of gaming and to have a resurgence of gaming because of the ease of entry. It's not as crunchy you know, it's really easy to get into it's, you know, you can pretty much, if you're interested in playing D and D you can quite literally pick up the, the player's handbook and go from there, or you can, you know, borrow it from a friend, whatever you want to do. You can even go to your local game store, which, you know, obviously with COVID and everything happening right now, if your local game store is open, I'd highly recommend going there first and they can walk you through what you need, which you pretty much need dice. You need, you, you, you know, get, you, get yourself a couple of character sheets or even just get yourself D&D Beyond and, and have at it. It's really easy to get into versus something like Pathfinder that, and again, I like Pathfinder too. I, I am not, I'm not a neither or whatever the phrase is. Um, I like both. I like a little bit of the crunchiness that Pathfinder offered. I like a lot of the customization that Pathfinder offered. Um, mm-hmm. But I think the big thing is that, and, and again, actually, I would love to hear your opinion on this. I personally feel that D and D fifth edition focused on who the player is, who the character is, and um, Pathfinder kind of focused on the how or the what. Of you know, Pathfinder might focus on the fact that I'm a paladin that does this, but D and fifth edition is you know they focus on well, who is this paladin? Named, you know, Dane Battle, uh, you know, Battle Hammer or whatever, you know, something cool like that, uh, or Dane Iron Fist, whatever. Um, I don't know. That's my opinion. I don't know what you think about that, but I think that's what that was one of the biggest things with Fifth Edition now, currently at least.
1: I I I um I do I really like the whole background section of Five E mm-hmm. because I think that opened. I think that opens people's minds up to much more than, than, you know, this character is a bunch of stats. Yeah. I mean, you get, you get some bonuses out of your background, but your background, um, you know, it, it kind of is a guide of how you want to play this character. Mm. I'm a big fan of not using the, the pre-written backgrounds. I, I think I personally want to see my players come to me and be like, I want to have the background of a runaway. Mm -hmm. So like, it's not, you're not the orphan background. You're not the, you know, the street urchin background or whatever. You're a runaway. Okay. So let's talk about that. You know, what does that mean in terms of, you know, are are you a farm kid that ran away from home? Why'd you run away from home? what does that mean about to your faults and your yeah. and your you know and i i really like the idea of that kind of collaboration between the player and the dm because you know you can um tie i love to tie my character's backgrounds into the story i'm about to tell because um you know i again i'm 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 so driven by are inspired by the movies i watch um even you know the older ones and there's a there's usually some sort of thread that connects a hero to the villain or a hero to the disaster that's that's impending for the for the kingdom or whatever and so by by the player and the dm coming together and saying okay, I want to I want to be from this orphanage here. Well, what if the whole party came from that orphanage? You know, that might be an issue. That's actually one we're going to get ready to run here probably in oh, the cool. next six weeks. I, I, well, we're f- finishing up the Red Hand of Doom right now.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but once we're done with it, um, we're going to uh, – um, I had this idea of everyone coming from this particular orphanage, and it's an orphanage that actually first appeared in a, the last campaign we ran. Okay. So this this town already has a connection to previous heroes that that had helped establish um, not not just the orphanage, but helped defend the town, and and it was part of the last campaign. So the so everyone can be like oh you remember that was what my character actually did that you know so it's kind of fun in that way but um having all of the characters come from the same place the same village that had already experienced trials and tribulations that needed heroes to save it and um um it just it's an interesting way of tying the party together other than to say well you guys all meet in a tavern you know, no. these guys all grew up together. There's a reason why, even though, you know, this guy might have, might be a jerk, you know, his fault is that he's, you know, maybe a, a little bit of a Eric from the cartoon, you know, the mm-hmm. kind of a, kind of a self-serving guy. But in the end they they have this bond together, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I find, I find working up, um, character histories outside of the box to be much more interesting than the pre-written ones. But I still think that even if, even if, um, even if a player just goes with the pre-written ones, it's still, I think a genius move on, on Wizards of the part to, to have that mechanic there to, to get players to think more along the lines of, well, who is this character and you know, what is their, what is their dogma or, or the, the, the thing that they live by because as a campaign goes on it's very easy for a player to forget about you know the 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 motivations of the character when it was first made you know why is this character on this adventure in the first place and you, you know you start falling into these little where you I think players a lot of times will start falling into the trap of well you know, my next two levels, I'm taking these two classes and then the third level is going to be that yeah. and they forget yeah. about what really motivates this character and to having it written on their character sheet is a great reminder of oh yeah, I, I'm supposed to be you know, a folk hero or I'm supposed to be, you know uh, you know uh, an outlander who, who who is expert guide in, you know, this particular terrain and yeah. um So I think it's great, you know, and whereas with Pathfinder, I think you're right with Pathfinder, it's crunchier. Um, but you know, that what's great is, is that it is, that is much more appealing to a specific type of gamer. And so there's something for everyone, which is great, you know?
0: Yeah. And I agree with that, man. I think that the beauty and, you know, for the audience out there listening, um, you know, I've spoken about this before that there is a game for everyone, right? There is an adventure for everyone. I personally run a lot of homebrew material just because that's what I enjoy. And I, you know, to the point, like you said, I encourage my players to come up with their own backstories, their own backgrounds, um, pretty much anything and everything that they want to do because it's specific to them. This is, this is how they you know, this is how they are collaborating in the storytelling aspect. This is how they world build in their own way is by creating their own, you know, background, whatever it it would be. Um, And I find that that that's such an intricate part of the game that it's almost like it's this, like you said, it's a great mechanic and it's there. It's there ready for you to use whenever you want. And I love that. I absolutely love it. Um, and speaking about homebrew adventures and homebrew stuff, I know that you have a couple that you've written, like I said before, um, if and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but you have days of blight, you have chlorhaven. And I think now um, your newest one, you have prison of chaos. I don't know if that's yeah. the correct pronunciation. Um, Cause actually that's a, that's a
1: funny story.
0: Okay. Actually. Yeah. I'd like to hear about it because again, You've created a bunch of them. I mean, I know you created the monster lexicon. Shout out to Kelsey, who's a, former, you know, who's a former guest and a friend of the bearded nerd. And we spoke about the monster, you know, her involvement as a writer in general, but her involvement in the monster lexicon. And she is a brilliant, 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 brilliant and awesome human being, but a brilliant writer as well. So I want to hear about your homebrew stuff.
1: Well, I, I really want to tell everyone out there that if they haven't checked out the Arcane Library, they've they've uh, only missing. diminished their gaming experience yep. because she is – her writing is – we are opposites. Okay. I'm not saying – and I'm not saying I'm bad and she's good or she's – when I say opposites, our styles are very different. Really? She's very concise and yeah. she gives the dm exactly what they need to run this adventure without a lot of um garbage that gets in the way um and i that what's brilliant about that is that i think in a, a lot of ways it encourages a dm to say okay i've got This little section, you know, people to know, like that's what I always call it, a people to know, like Mm -hmm. in this village, who are the movers and shakers, and there's a short description of each. She'll she'll give that to you, yeah. But that's it, you know. And it then it's up to the DM how they want to run with that, and you could run with these descriptions a thousand different ways. For me, I have like like if you read Days of Blight, Mm -hmm. I take every single. home in the village who lives there you know this guy he's attracted to this girl um, and she's attracted to him but there's another guy who's a bully who you know who's getting in the way and 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 i give a pot a lot of possible different hooks because you know i get carried away when i write and, I, and as as the ideas flow i just put them on paper and so my adventures tend to be a bit longer, but they the NPCs, I think are really, I, I try to flesh them out as much as possible, which in one regard, you could say, well, um, you know, for a DM who just wants to run a one shot or anything, it's a lot of extra information to keep track of. In fact, I had a, I just recently had a review and this guy was like, there are 57 NPCs in Days of Blight 2. And I was like, I didn't realize I put that many in there. But, Dang. you know, for him, he loved it, but he had to build a chart mm. to keep track of what everyone was doing and who and whose motivations were what. But, you know, at the same time, it creates a lot of depth, I think. Um, sure. But it is work for the DM to try to keep track of that, whereas Kelsey's very concise. And, you know, if if you don't want to bother worrying about this person's, you know, love interest with this person. You don't have to worry about
0: all that. I'm, yeah, um, I'd agree. I mean, Kelsey, you know, again, friend to the podcast. And I mean, she's badass. Not, you know, not to say anything rude or anything or to be miscon, but she's badass. Like yeah. I, when I heard some of the stuff of how she writes, kind of digging deep into the mindset, right? Like, and again, like you said, she is concise. She is the type of writer that is perfect for the beginner DM who wants to, you know, have this information, you know, run with it. But it's also perfect for the veteran DM because you know, as I do, like we have thoughts in the back of our head that if you give us a little bit, now we can run with it and we can go with it and we can take it wherever we want to go. And I feel like Kelsey kind of hits all those demographics you know personally i would i I, pers- I write like you do where i flesh out a lot of npcs so for project Terracona, as you know and as most of the audience know like it's a it's a, it's a big work in progress right now because we're kind of running into we're running into a lot of the the fun stuff that you run into when you're going to publish you know your first game um, you know the legalities and all that fun stuff and obviously with covid happening it's it's been crazy but I just realized when you said that you have fifty-seven NPCs, I have like thirty, and it's in one section of the book, and I'm like, oh crap, I might have to tone down a bit. Um, but that's just how that's how it is. You, you get this idea and you run with it. But no, I again, shout out to Kelsey, you're badass. If you're listening to the podcast, you're badass.
1: Yeah, she is amazing. Working together on the lexicon it was a it was an eye-opener for me because um, the Clorhaven book was my first attempt at, cl- at concise writing. And, and, I, and I specifically thought of Kelsey. It was the first thing I wrote after we had worked together. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, I thought to myself, I, I tried as best as I could to be concise. But I still mm-hmm. ended up with like seven mm-hmm. or eight NPCs in mm-hmm. that I that I gave a little bit more meat to. Um, but it was one of a, it was, I think only like 30 pages, 30 page adventure. Um, most of my, most of my adventures are a little bit longer, 60, 70 pages. Um, and I'm working on days of blight three right now. And that one's might be closer to a hundred pages when it's done. Dang. Um, cl- as you mentioned, COVID it's killing me.
2: Yeah. I have,
1: I have friends that uh, – other DMs who do some playtesting for me. Okay. But when when we weren't able to meet and I couldn't see firsthand how things unfolded, mm-hmm. it made it really hard because, you know, I know how, how I wanted it to play out. And when other DMs wrote, ran it for me and reported back because they are running on like D20 or what is it, Roll20. I don't ever run yeah, online. Roll20. Fantasy and like Grounds and that sort of thing. Um, they were able to report back, oh, this is great, or this might need work, or whatever, but uh, not being able to see firsthand um, was, it, that was for the prison of Cox. That That one, that one killed me because I had put a lot of work into the final encounter in that adventure, and I really wanted it to play out in a certain way, and I wasn't, they, based on what they told me, I think it, came out that way but uh mm-hmm. you know all of my little my little uh play tests at my place they were very concise very very truncated meaning i i would just run a single encounter rather than the whole adventure because um we just we just didn't have the time to to fit it in the way i wanted it but um i mentioned there was, was a funny story about prison and cost that is so i the word "cos" with the little apostrophe it's a, it translates in a, in a, a dead, a, a dead language now, uh, to like evil one. So the prison of the evil one, right. Cause oh, costs in Dutch, I think in Dutch means cheese. So what told me, <laughs> I, obviously I'm not Dutch or anything. So you could either be the prison of cheese or the prison of the evil one, whichever one you
0: choose. Um, well, you had, in the words of Leonardo DiCaprio, you had my attention, but now you have my curiosity. <laughs> uh, I am a fan of cheese. So,
1: <laughs> like. Well, there you go. That is but actually I, really funny. Um, but Clorhaven and Koss, those two were written in collaboration with Printable Scenery.
0: Okay. So, yeah, I, see, I see a lot of stuff that you have. Of print, I mean, Printable Scenery, again, shout out to them. They have some really cool stuff.
1: Yeah, you could see, right? On the podcast um brian and i were actually talking over video at the same time but i'm pointing at back there are all the Clorhaven models that printable scenery produce i don't know if you could see that
0: but uh i i, I, I don't see your video right now
1: oh okay well in any case it's, it's, it's back there um all the I've, the I've seen
0: those instagram pictures i've oh uh, yeah i've uh i've I may or may not I think you had a you had a little video the uh, yesterday with your dragon magazines and whatnot, which by the way, cool collection. I think I saw you you pointed to the printable scenery terrain really good yeah, stuff. yeah
1: it 's beautiful they, like, the roofs come off and every floor comes apart and they're, uh, each the, all the one inch squares are inside, so you can move in and out of the doors and cool so for pr- prison of cost there 's all the ziggurats, so the, the prison is. Yeah the center of the there's a giant ziggurat surrounded by smaller ones and you can use your 3d printer to actually build the ziggurats and they come off in layers and they have all the corridors and rooms in the interior um <clears throat> so inside the inside the book there's actually like a cross section it's so mm-hmm. like if you were going to cut a ziggurat because the the prison is vertical as opposed to you know, a dungeon with steps and stuff. So you'll be crawling through tight little crevasses and stuff to, to reach the next levels down. And, yeah. and uh, but every piece of terrain, every tunnel, every dungeon, it's all printable. So you can actually build um, you can build every single encounter in both Clorhaven and Kos. Um, if you have a three, 3- three printer. Now, if you don't have a 3d printer, all is not lost because you can go to the printable scenery website and they have these Mm -hmm. collaborators, people who will print them for you, obviously at a cost, but they they'll print the terrain for you and ship it to you. Um, So, you know, there's, there's opportunities there to, uh, to still get the terrain built or, you know, you do it the old fashioned way on a battle mat, you know,
0: for sure. I mean, I'm, I, I will, shamelessly plug incarnate because I use incarnate a lot and you can most, you can probably recreate whatever you got to recreate on a battle map. But as a fan of modular terrain and just terrain pieces in general, that sounds like a really good deal with that collaborator um, partnership, I guess you could say. Um, yeah, I would, I mean, I would even go as far as to say like it almost, and again, I'm going to justify, it. and the audience is probably being like, "Man, Brian's trying to justify buying a 3D printer now," <laughs> because I wouldn't mind buying a 3D printer, um, you know, just to print that scenery out. I mean, what you've done with printable scenery, man, you, it's been a sweet collaboration.
1: I think it's I think it's fantastic. I mean, back in the day, I would have built all this stuff out of paper. I have yeah. all like the paper craft stuff, um, but. And you, you know, with three D printers, like my, I got my son a three D printer, and he messes around with it and so mm-hmm. forth. But I, I, you know, like any kind of new technology, it's only going to get better, and eventually, it's going to get to the point where, um. It's going to get to the point where, you know, everybody's going to have a three D printer for sure and 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 it's going to be and they're going to be really sleek and really easy to calibrate like right now they're really finicky you know you got to calibrate it just right you got to have everything the temperature of the the filament melt has to be just right and um you know it's it's still there's still a little bit of a learning curve to 3d printers as far as i can tell um but once you once you nail it once you figure out it's probably much more of a breeze. I haven't messed with myself. Like I said, my son has, and he prints stuff all the time. Um, But uh, I think that the technology is going to get better and better. And, and obviously the cost of them is going to go down. Um,
0: It's what's going to happen is that you'll have companies selling the, um, what's it called? Um, The files for it. Um, You're going to have a lot of companies selling the, Um, and like you're, they're going to be selling, I always, this is what I think if with, you know, if 3d printing gets as big as I think it's going to be instead of, you know, instead of going to the game store to buy, you know, the actual, I mean, there might be minis there, you never know, but you might actually just go to the game store to buy files and say, yeah, I want to buy these files, these exclusive files that I can only find at this game store uh, to print, you know, a... I don't know, mer mer person paladin. I don't know something cool like that. Like then there you go. That's what it is.
1: And I think that's already happening to an extent right now.
0: Yeah, um, I, I wouldn't doubt it.
1: I've I seen. I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah, I've seen some files. A lot of there's a lot of uh, just sharing going on, which I think is awesome. I'm a big yep. open source fan. You know, just Me collaborate too. and and help one another, but. Uh, um I think you're right, I think there's gonna come a point in time where where people are just gonna be churning out the miniatures um I would also you know what would be interesting i think i I would wager that they're they're already working on something like this, but you know my my laser printer over here has like five ink cartridges, and I could see there being multiple colored filaments that are somehow. Uh, melted Ooh. together to create a a pre painted print, you know oh, um, that
0: would be sick.
1: But I don't know. I'm just you know, you're I, onto I just, something. Matt. You just, yeah, I mean, I I think the technology is eventually going to be insane. You know, I can still remember the day when the when the Betamax came out, and the VHS it came out, and the only way you'd get one was to rent one at the store because mm-hmm. uh, to buy one was cost prohibitive. You know, it was just like <laughs> insanely expensive. And now you can get a VHS player for $30, you know? I still um,
0: have a VHS DVD combination because that was my, you know, my grandpa was like, this is like the epitome of technology. And I I saved it because I was like, dang, like I still watch VHS. Is there, I mean, obviously just, you know, in, in that same light, there's always going to be someone who's going to want to like, buy minis from a store and have the jewel instead of having to print it and do it themselves. They, they they would rather just pay for the actual mini. I think there's going to be that point in time that, or there's going to be people that do that too, or they're going to want that, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, but I do think that the work that places like printable scenery are doing, um, you know, it's taking gaming to a, to a, to a really cool level, but at the same time, you know, it's interesting, um, when I'm running my games, Mm -hmm. I I still use the battle mat 90% of the time.
0: Yeah, I've seen it in your videos, not to be creepy, but I've seen your videos where (laughs) you, you have the battle mat still, and you do everything by hand.
1: And, and the reason for that is because, you know, setting up a big encounter, Mm -hmm. um, you know, like like if I were to set up a village and the party comes into the village, you know, even if that's just one encounter, what is that—an hour or two—and then you have to put all that, take all that stuff to out and True. put it away. Yep. And it's just it, it's a it's a time thing, and you don't want to take what you want to keep the action flowing. Our sessions we play Sundays um, from two to seven, two to okay. eight in there, so five or six hours at a time. And so is that
0: just D&D or is that
1: That's just D&D. Yeah. Okay. And so um you know if you, we might have three or four encounters in that in that time span and you know we can't be moving large builds in and out cuz it would just take too much time. Yeah. So I think that there's always going to be there's always going to be uh um a need for the battle mats, and and I think in a large way that's where two D terrain comes in because you can throw that in and out really fast. Um, I have I have tons of skeleton key games. They have two D tiles that I made. You know, uh, a tavern that I could just fold up and just whip out any time. I I've, I've got wilderness terrain ruins and it's just all 2d tiles i can just throw out there in a moment's notice and then can you know get folded up and put away and in, inside of 30 seconds when we're done with it
0: true very true
1: um, so i think there's always going to be uh a need for other technologies but the 3d terrain is beautiful it is beautiful and for a final you know i, I think i made a instagram post about this today um, for a a final encounter or a um a really uh pivotal moment in the game that you want to be something. memorable yes you know whether it's like a campaign finale or like a really important event yeah man blow it out with 3d terrain just make it memorable and um
0: don't hold back
1: yeah uh, so i i think that there will always be uh room for the the simple even as even as gaming gets more and more complex when it when it comes to like the the visual appeal of of the tabletop you know
0: i'd agree Uh, with that man i'd absolutely agree with that i think and again this is this is just me where there's always going to be a design whether techno, you know technology can span crazy feats And it will, it definitely will. However, there will always be a need for, and a desire for some type of tabletop something, whether it's miniatures, terrain, or a combination. And just like you said, I think, you know, for myself, I have some Dwarven Forge. I'm not, you know, my wife bought it for me for the holidays and it was fantastic. I, it was my first set of Dwarven Forge and really one of, some of my first like, you know, Sets of modular terrain to build that um, to build that collection up, right? And I like for the most part, I bust it out when something memorable will happen, whether it's a scenario, whether it's an a combat encounter, whatever it may be. Just because, like if like you said, just from a practicality standpoint, I can't be coming up with all this crazy terrain builds and putting it away taking it down it, it kind of loses the the momentum of the game you know what i mean yeah
1: yeah i the the terrain i really enjoy using the most is uh architects of destruction i've um, seen a lot of their stuff their their stuff is new um they finished their last they finished their very first kickstarter last year and they're getting ready for, to fulfill it nice and um, I, their stuff is like Legos. It clips together. So what I can do is I can build everything before the game and then have it hidden off table. And then literally when it's time, I can just pick it up and plop it right on the table because it's all locked together like Legos. Oh, Uh, It it doesn't use the same like little studs. It has like these little clips, but, but it's, it's gamer Legos basically, you know?
0: I, I'm I'm and, gonna need to get them on the podcast because I'd love to hear more about that. Oh
1: yeah, that's um Jameson and Matt. They're when printable scenery that, that's Matt uh Matt Barker, he's um he's one half of Architects of Destruction. Oh so, no kidding. Yeah, he's um, he and Jameson came together um to create this, this new product and and one of the thing I also like about it is that they <laughs> So they, they knew this was going to delay their fulfillment, mm-hmm. but rather than have everything injected and molded in China, they bought the molding machines themselves and the, the dye, the, what are they called? The, the cut, the machine that cuts the dyes. Yeah. 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 Um, they bought their own machines and they're producing everything here in Texas or in Texas in the United States
0: no kidding
1: and what that allows it that initial investment that front-end investment which was huge these machines are so expensive um but what it allows them to do Mm -hmm. is um in the long run all of their stuff is going to be way cheaper it's going to be like the common man's the common gamers 3d terrain
0: because what what a lot of people don't realize is that your so when you buy mini like don't get me wrong I love cracking open blind boxes of minis right that's probably one of the one, one of the most exciting things of minis at least in my opinion even now just thinking about it I'm like oh my gosh I want to crack a pack. It's addicting like, it is it is addicting sir like the, it's it it's something that I, I joke around about that it's my vice. It is one of like I have a backfill of things that and I'm learning how to paint minis now but I have a backfill of just things that I need to paint and things that I'm collect, you know collecting creating all that good stuff but you know with you know cracking packs like the official D&D stuff I don't have anything wrong against it but because it's made in China like a lot of people don't realize that there's going to be times where it's actually going to be costing you more money as a consumer to purchase it versus buying like Reaper Reaper minis. I think everything's made in Texas as well. I yes. think they own all of all that's all the like, you know, dyes, all, all that stuff. So they, if you've noticed their prices are still competitive with like, um, with like the Nolzor's um, or the Nolzor's unpainted stuff. But in the long run, they haven't had to increase their price, really, which saves us money.
1: Yeah, and their prices are actually slightly cheaper than those. Mm-hmm. Yep. The uh, yes, they're they usually are. like a dollar a model cheaper.
0: Yes, they are. Uh, you're yeah, absolutely correct. They're, and, and I don't know how it is because you're in Illinois, correct? Yeah. See, I'm in North Carolina, so at least, I don't know if there's any price difference, you know, with, with including taxes and whatnot. But it's usually like two ninety nine, dollars $3.99 versus yeah. you know 4 yeah
1: and you know it's what's even better about reaper and this is if there are international gamers listening and you will want to double check this because this podcast may be up in a year and you might listen to it a year down the road and things might have changed but with reaper mm-hmm. if you buy a hundred dollars worth of models from them mm-hmm. they will ship worldwide for free Really, it used to, and and I'm gonna bring that up to make sure that's still true. But um, they used to do that.
0: Well, I definitely have some international listeners. I know I have. um, I I have a shout out to those listeners in in. um, I know actually, I have some in the UK. I have some. uh, Actually, I have. I'm very honored and blessed to have them in different. Um, in different parts of the world, I'm actually, I can check right now to confirm, but point is, yeah, there are definitely, um, there are definitely a lot of, like that would, a lot of people who would benefit from that for Pete's sake. Um, heck, I mean, I, I mean, I have friends that live abroad and they game, And I mean, they've been going to Games Workshop because they live in in the UK. So they've been going to Games Workshop for some of their minis, which again, that's a whole different, that's a whole different um, tale within itself. I I personally like Games Workshop minis, but that's just me. I like all minis. I actually, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to. Yes.
1: So so I brought up their website here. And. There might if there are tariffs or something that might change mm-hmm. this. But since they have factories in Europe, United States, um, and a few other locations, they definitely for for orders of about a hundred dollars or more, they will offer free shipping. And now again, there might be tariffs or something involved. For sure. But so you'll wanna check. But uh it's it's a pretty good deal because I know getting miniatures overseas can be really difficult. So I would definitely check in with Reaper if you're overseas and you were interested in building a miniature collection to check out Reaper because um, there's uh, there's possibility that they could get, uh, get you some miniatures. Even if there's tariffs involved and stuff, it still might be worth it. So, yeah, it
0: might be worth it. It might be cheaper in the long run.
1: Yeah. Just take a look.
0: Um, Dang, now that's that. I mean, I remember, I've always loved Reaper. I, I, again, I like all minis, but I remember my first memories with Reaper. Shout out to them because I, my, the old, my old game store that I used to, I, I was, I'm very lucky where I live or where I lived at the time. And there's still, the stores are still, some of these stores are still in existence. It's just I've, I moved to a different part of the city where I could walk, it was called Your Local Game Store. It's owned by Timothy and Rebecca here in Charlotte, North Carolina. They are some of the nicest people on, the, on this planet. Like, just nice family who owns it, gamers at heart, for the people, by the people, you know? And they, um, I, could, I could walk there, right? Like, that's how close I was. And Reaper's, Reaper Minis, always there really cheap, especially when I got back into the game and got back into the hobby where I was like, okay, I want to buy, you know, minis for my um for my Pathfinder game, for my D and D game. Cool. I can dual purpose. I mean heck, I'm pretty sure if you want to pass it, you can even do like a frost grade. You know, you know what I mean? Like you can use it for multiple systems. I love I love Reaper. I, I have no qualms about them.
1: Yeah and Reaper has I think a lot of modern uh, miniatures and stuff that you could use with Cthulhu. I mean, yep. they just have a huge variety.
0: Um, one of the, one of the largest still, correct?
1: Yeah. And, and they're the, the, I know that the Reaper bones in the past has <laughs> had a, issues with paint sticking to them. Yeah. Um, but they're new, they have the new. Reaper spittery. black, right? Yeah. And that, that stuff, um, holds primer really well. It's, it's not as flexible okay as the bones but it's still plastic and it's still very durable um and it's easily what i like about it most is that when you're using a dremel like if if you want that mini not to have an axe but a sword you could steal a sword from a different model using a dremel and the black the new material i mean you could do it with bones no problem but the new material is even better for modifications of miniatures because it's, it's got a little bit of give to it, but it's, it's that, that it's got a perfect amount of firmness. Um, and when you're gluing it back together or using the green stuff to fill in holes, when you're doing modification, it just, it's like the perfect consistency, you know um, we do a lot of modifications of miniatures. So to To make them what what we want out of them, and particularly for the player character miniatures, because they're you know it's yeah, there. There's always something that could be a little bit different, you know. And, yeah, because uh, you
0: do a lot of custom stuff, correct, for your game. Yeah,
1: yeah, we do. I mean, we almost we I don't think we've ever run, with the exception of Red Handed Doom, and even that is heavily modified. We have never run um, a printed adventure. Everything's always been homebrew.
0: Yeah. I've participated Um, in, in modules and stuff like that, like official modules, but I personally, um, do not run. I probably would say 99% of everything I run is homebrew.
1: You know, and it's funny because for my local game store, shout out to Nick at Titan games. Um, the, uh, I, I, uh, Um, I originally was running like Strahd for him and, Mm -hmm. and, uh, Storm King's Thunder. But we would, when we finished, I ran Strahd, then I ran Storm King's Thunder and everyone was like, yeah, you know, we've watched a lot of like podcast or not podcasts, but, um, you know, streams of all the different adventures that are out there and they all just wanted to run homebrew i'm like i'm perfectly happy to run homebrew you know yeah and so we eventually they just became my wednesday group became my playtest group for days of blight and prison of costs and mm-hmm. you know well not prison of cost but because of covid but for Clorhaven and and the like that was the wednesday night group would would just be my guinea pigs you know
0: yeah for and sure. they loved it there's nothing wrong with that
1: Yeah, it's and it's a lot of fun and it's completely original. You're not going to find that anywhere else. So,
0: and that's actually something that I'm glad you brought that up. It's what I love about homebrew, it's completely original. And I feel that, don't get me wrong, I have a mechanic in my game where I have teleported people to you know, um, Barovia, like it's it's kind of part of my multiverse uh theory within the game, which is like, okay, yeah, you can, you you can ascend and, and it's kind of a little planescape, right? You can kind of travel to these different planes or you get warped into these different planes by some reason, or, you know, by the ploy of the gods, whatever it may be and go from there. But it's always a homebrew just because I like the creativity. I don't like to be sandboxed, you know? Yeah. There, there might be some sandboxing depending on the you know, game or the session that I'm playing, right. I'm not gonna, I might not have, you know, my wife, she's a, a, an educator. So if I were ever to, you know, do a session for eighth grade students, I would probably do a little bit more sandboxy just because, you know, they don't have a lot of time, you know, and be, you know, they don't have two, three, four hours to play a session. They, you know, if I were, to, you know, they might have an hour or two to play, so I might just do more of like a a, a more a little bit of sandboxy one shot. But what I love about homebrew and you know love you know, love to hear your opinion about it is it gives me and my players the creative freedom that we want. right? Yeah,
1: I mean, because ultimately, when you're doing a, a pre-printed adventure, there's you know one way to go. You For know, sure. You're going forward, um, and you're going through this pre-written story. Whereas with homebrew. You know, I had one game that I I like to connect my campaigns. So okay. the, my campaign from the late eighties I used as the backstory for my next campaign, and that was part of the story for the next campaign. So I had this this villain I had introduced in one campaign, and he was kind of in and out, he was part of this grand scheme, but um, I really had this I really wanted to develop that villain much more so I decided to use him as the main villain for the next campaign
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and I wanted him to be like this tragic figure who um, as it turned out was not responsible for the evil acts that, that he was committing it was um, but in any case about a quarter of the way through the campaign, one of the characters died. And he, and he died in possess- while he was in possession of this evil artifact that the party was trying to keep away from this villain. And the artifact was essentially this vessel that would be able to, to imbue the villain with the power of the avatar of Thar's Doom. Okay, So... <clears throat> I thought to myself, would it be interesting? Because they buried this dead player character um, with this relic. they thought, well, if we leave it here, no one's going to find it. We can come back for it later. And they were all terrified of handling it. Yeah. Um, and so they buried this relic with the corpse of Kuthalian. And I thought, well, that might be fun if the power of the avatar transferred into the into their dead dead comrade you know and so they would have to and he could like mess with them and 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 they would have to try to figure out a way of pulling that essence out of him i thought that might be fun uh-huh. and so he became almost like a joker figure right oh. and because you know thar's dune is just chaos you're chaotic, yeah, yeah yeah you know so Th- kusan became this joker figure and i started messing with the party you know because what happened was i said i thought i'd set him up i would say the, the family of Cuthalian came to them and they're like, well, we want the body of our son back to give him a burial. And so they'd have to go back and get him and they'd find the grave would be empty. And the, the vessel, this, this, this relic was shattered that was in the grave. And so they'd have to figure out, they'd go back to town and he would be in town just creating chaos. Right. Mm-hmm. And they fixated on him so intensely to the point where they would just like the villain I had created was just an afterthought. And I thought, I've got to change up my campaign. I've got to make Kuthalian the primary villain. Because mm-hmm. they are, they hate him now. They, th- there's like real, true emotion coming yeah. out of these players.
0: Now, are you running that team. player character, that old player character? Or was that. I was actually,
1: our, my, Jim was one of my players. It was his character that died.
0: Oh, and he's and, running
1: it. I was, yeah, I was the DM. Well, I was after, after he came back as the DM, I was running Cuthalian. Okay. okay. Um, but Jim was, uh, was on his new character and he's just like, why are you turning Cuthalian into an asshole? You know? (laughs) And, um, but I completely over revamped the whole campaign around this one thing that I just thought would be a fun distraction for the party.
0: Wow. And and it's crazy how you did that. It was just, Yeah.
1: As a homebrew, you can do that, you know, yep. and really you could with a pre-published one. It's just harder because then, you know, as you go through the adventure, you're kind of like, oh, how how does this relate to that? Because with homebrew, you don't write it start to finish, you yeah. know, you adjust and you change course here and there and you kind of manipulate it where you need to. And eventually the party ends up where you want them to be. Uh, yeah, but it's not a straight path. And you, you uh, so,
0: write, you write the how do I say you write the skeleton, you know, you, you, the base, so to speak, and it builds upon there.
1: Exactly. Yeah, and a lot of times you have to change bones out, like this one. Yep. You know, and uh, so that's the real. I what I love about homebrew is just is just the ability to um, just make it. I mean, obviously it's going to be your own because it's, it's homebrew, but it is, there is, there is no set course, you know, yeah. you might be sailing West, but end up going South or whatever. Yep. But uh, That's the great thing about it. But um, I can remember like when I first, my very first adventure I published was days of blight
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it was all, it was one of my, my, I had run it for three different groups from starting with second edition and into third edition and then fifth edition. So I had rewritten it three times for all the different editions and all three different groups just loved it. And I thought, well, there's an open gaming license now I could see how it does. And it, and I didn't even advertise it. I didn't do anything with it. I just put it on DM's guild Mm -hmm. and it, I think it went gold
2: with, oh, dang.
1: with uh, yeah, and I, that was without a penny of advertising or anything. it just you know it was kind of organically mm-hmm. out there and, and did pretty well and the second one is out now the second one is is much beefier okay and because that's the one with the 57 different NPCs, NPCs. It's, got, uh, it's got this little village called Quag Cove, which is like a bandit hideout on the outskirts of this of this the blightmore this swamp where the where the hag coven lives and um so these 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 bandits are essentially are they run cover for for the hags they don't know it
2: mm-hmm. you know
1: but they 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 do it um they're they're everyone's everyone's manipulating somebody in the in that in that story there's a lot of twists and and uh manipulation going on but that adventure i ran for a couple different groups and again we had so much fun and i can't tell you how many times like i would write something this is where playtesting has become so important oh you know i can't tell you how many times i i would write something i think this is so damn good but then i sit down we run it and a player says something or reacts to an npc in a completely mm-hmm. unexpected way and i think to myself that's even better than what i freaking wrote before i got to go back and change it yeah you know so whereas i would want this npc to to maybe be you know a soft-hearted person or maybe you know sympathetic to the party but a particular npc but a particular player reacted to the npc in a certain way that i thought that is so good, you know, and, and having that, that organic, you know, playthrough where where you actually get people's emotions and different viewpoints involved Mm -hmm. is so critical to writing. I can't stress enough how important playtesting is, um, which is why COVID drove me nuts when the prison of because the playtesting was so, it was so broken up and and it drove me crazy, but we got it done. You know, I was really happy. We had several different groups run it. And I, and I was really, really happy with, with all the feedback I got. And I think I can't wait to um, I I wanted to do something really different for the final encounter in the prison of costs. And I think I did something, I think I pulled it off. So the original idea was that Matt Barker came to me and he goes, what do you think about rewriting? He didn't say rewriting, but something inspired by uh, expedition to the barrier Peaks. So something like with a sci-fi element, but for D and D. And so that was the real, that's, that was the, 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 the inspiration that started it. So I came up with space pirates. It's essentially oh, like, essentially like uh spell jammer, you know, and, but there's this new race of creatures that I created that um, that uh, uh, they had to defend against and build this prison for. Um,
0: oh, so. that's sick. You see, for the folks out there, I mean, they can't see me because I've been shaking my head. Because Spelljammer, I mean, oh, oh my gosh, Spelljammer was such a cool take on you know i think it had a huge impact in gaming culture and in, in the gaming hobby and to kind of bring that element right is we don't see that anymore except for homebrew stuff so i'm actually really excited i do and actually it leads me to the next question where can folks purchase um your 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 adventures especially with prisoner of Cass?
1: so that uh if you go to my website i got a Page on my website that has you can link to all the different locations. So, oh, okay,
0: so thepickledragon.com. Yeah, the okay.
1: there's um the Days of Blight series is on the DM's Guild. Um, the Prison of Chaos and Clorhaven, they're for sale. The paperbacks are for sale on Amazon. The PDFs are on Drive Through RPG. Okay. Um, and eventually there's different print specifications for Amazon versus drive-thru RPG in the next few weeks. I'm hoping to get the paperbacks available for everything on drive-thru RPG. It's just, I got to change all the files gotcha. um, and for the drive-thru specifications.
0: So can folks just go to the pickle com to um, kind of traverse where to purchase everything?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And there's, Um, there's a five E products link on there and it just, there's a big list of everything there. There's a few other adventures on there. There's, um, the misfit maggot five was probably, that's a free adventure I have out there, um, where you play, I wrote that a few years ago. Um, and it comes with five pre-generated characters. One's a goblin, one's a kobold, one's a bugbear. There's an orc. Um, but they're all written, they're like the misfits of the tribe.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So like the bugbear, you know, normal bugbears are like seven foot tall and he's like five foot 10, you know, and he's <laughs> got this short man complex where he's just angry at everybody. Um, the kobold has no short term, has no short term memory. So he just, he just, he forgets everything. And so each one of them has their own little thing mm-hmm. about them that, uh, um, the, the players can then take off with and role play. We had, we actually videoed, we actually filmed our entire session when we play tested it the last time, the last play test session, we filmed the entire thing. It's on my YouTube channel, but we had so much fun playing these characters because, um, it's meant to be a comedy, you know? And, um, so every encounter there is, you know, we have new monsters. So like there's the swarm of squ- squirrels and they have the nutcracker attack. And, you know, so, um, uh, the, and the, uh, um, I have one of the things I love about they or one of my favorite giants is that if you read their description, the heads rarely get along the two heads, mm-hmm. they usually argue with one another. And mm-hmm. so there's an Etten encounter in there where the, really the Etten is much too difficult for the level of the adventures, but the DM is supposed to run that in such a way that the two heads can't get along to the point where it's going to interfere with their ability to fight, you know? So there's this badgering back and forth. Um, But that's another free adventure that you can download. Oh, that's cool. Uh, And, uh, but so everything's out there. Uh, We've got, uh, Oh, another thing that's another free download is we have a house rule for um, severe wounds. So it used to be, yeah, so in the older editions, anytime you got to negative seven hit points, you had to roll on this chart. Mm -hmm. You might, you might have a horrible scar, your nose might got chopped off, or you might have lost an arm or a leg or, you know, when you roll on this, this chart. Well, for 5e is anytime you end up with two failed death saves, you have to roll on the chart. And it's broken down by damage type, so slashing bludgeoning, or so you might with a mace might bash out all your front teeth, and it might hurt your ability to to you know persuade somebody you know like a little oh, all these little penalties cool um some of them like you might be disfigured to the point where you might get bonuses to intimidate you know or uh that sort of thing
0: that's so. awesome and and that's really cool i f- that's actually something that i wish we could see more is because, you know, that, those were some of the cool mechanics in, in, in previous editions, right. You know, like, but I think, but also it makes the game unique, you know, when you have that type of like, you know, nuance to your, you know, game. So you can find that at the pickle com as well.
1: Yeah. And that's another free download.
0: Cool. Uh, hey, free stuff's awesome. I, yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and, and, you know, with all that being said, one of, you know, my last question that I want to ask, cause I know that, um, I know that there are folks in the audience who, that you know, that if they're not already following you are right now going to Instagram to follow you at the Pickle dragon, um, on like what is one thing that you as a gamer and as a writer, um, what is one thing you would recommend for, People for in the audience, or just people in general, who would want to start writing their own games and start publishing their own games. What's the one piece of advice that you would give them?
1: Um. Well, I think that the hardest thing for anybody when you're doing anything, whether it's starting a podcast or uh, writing an adventure, is just to get started. Mm just to sit down and do it. I had been pestered like crazy for years on Instagram. When are you going to do your own podcast? When are you going to do your own YouTube channel and all this? And I finally just said, all right, I'll do it. And I just sat down and just started and hemmed and on. And I deliberately named my YouTube little video vlogs, whatever you call them. I named it unscripted because I wasn't really interested in doing a whole bunch of editing and stuff. Yeah. Um, so I just was like, this is what it's gonna be. It's gonna be all the hymns and haws and the ums and whatever in yep. between. It's it is what it is. Um, this so-
0: this is the pot this is the bearded nerd podcast, man. We don't I I do, I'll tell y'all a secret. I rarely edit because I like the rawness of the conversation. I don't like things scripted, man. Heck no
1: yeah i mean Uh -uh. i and who wants to sit there and edit all day i mean some people love that sort of thing but no i don't
0: i want to i want to paint minis or i want to look at my collection like golem looks at the ring (laughs) like you you know i i want to do that that's that or i want to watch i want to paint minis while i watch an you know an anime
1: yeah absolutely and as far as writing goes, you know, you might have an idea. Maybe you only have an ending mm. and you 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 don't know how to start. Well, at least start writing the ending. You don't have to start mm. at the beginning. You could start in the middle. You could be, you know, maybe you just have some vague idea. You think it would be so cool to have space cowboys fighting orcs, fighting, you know. And maybe that's your idea and you just start writing. I can't tell you how many times. I just had no clue as to where I wanted to go or how I wanted to end up there. But once I started writing, once I just started putting words down, um, you know, the ideas just start flowing. And um, so maybe you just have this ending in mind and you, yeah. you write down this ending and you can work backwards from there. Okay. Well, how did they end up getting there? Yep. You know, how did they end up in this ziggurat? all right, well, where's the ziggurat located? And you just start asking yourself questions and, um, out of it. And a lot of times, once you, once you've started asking those questions, you'll find yourself at the beginning and you'll, you'll find yourself being able to start from the beginning and work your way in. Um, but asking a ton, you ask yourself a ton of questions and, and just starting you know just getting words down on paper a lot of times that is the hardest part of writing is just is just to get get to the point where you're in front of that typewriter or computer or whatever you're using yeah and just just pounding that pounding that
0: keyboard you know or it could even be a notebook and pen i mean yeah absolutely i I get my i get my bait i i i write everything on notebook and you know pen and paper whatever and then I translate it to a Microsoft uh, OneNote um, like thing. And before I write anything, because I, I kind of have this process of elimination or addition, depending on, you know, the way my brain's flowing, where I, you know, kind of, I, that, I mean, everyone has their own style. And I, I love the advice that you give, you know, it's almost like you're just start where you're at.
1: Yeah. I do a lot of bullet points. So
0: oh, okay. Like-
1: for the for Days of Blight three, um, I'm probably I'm really close to being 100 100 pages in, and I probably have another 30 or 40 to go. Dang! Um, but those 30 or 40 are all bullet pointed out. You know, mm. um, I know what I need to write in there. I just have to sit down and do it. You know, uh, but again, and once we start, like we've already actually already play tested through most of it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: um so we've actually play tested into the bullet point areas
2: oh um, sweet
1: and and so when you are play testing you're going to have a. I like to play test with just a vague idea of what i want to do a very mm-hmm. very sandbox you know i know I know the party is going to be in Hades. I know that the party is going to be in this area where there's a lot of lava flows. I want there to be a lot of lava flows. I got this new monster. I know I need to play test. Okay. So what's the story there? What's, what's going to unfold? What are the, what are the natural um, obstacles? So whenever I design an adventure, I, I not only ask myself who are the, the villains and who are the heroes and, And who are the NPCs in between? But I also ask okay, what are like the natural hazards going to be? Is it going to be ultra hot? Is it, is water and food going to be a problem? So in this case, um, the gloom of Hades is a problem where the party has to make saving throws against the gloom of Hades, which as they fail, I created this chart as they fail, different things start happening to them. Like the first failure is they become. They have to change their uh, their f- their fault to a specific list of uh, f- faults that basically they become really downtrodden. Their clothes lose like if they have colorful clothing, they become drab, you know. Oh, and dang. so as you step through the gloom of Hades, it's like stepping through levels of depression.
0: Oh you know? snap!
1: and so that's kind of a natural hazard but now in this area where we we left off play testing there's also lava flows and heat so water is going to be a a a problem so if they don't take create water spells or or that sort of thing that could be a problem um there's also you know the the five rivers of hades you know you got the river Mm -hmm. Styx and acheron and all those different bodies of water on hades if you touch them they all have different effects according i tried to stick as close to the greek mythology as i could mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so um you know touching the waters of of the different these different bodies of waters can do different things so um they have to be careful not to do that you know but if for some reason that there's a monster that might knock somebody out of a boat or you know they're they're gonna have to cross those bridges as they come. So there's all kinds of natural hazards. I tried to. I I love taking my adventures and making the environment just as much of a hazard as any of the monsters that may encounter. Um, and I know that players. I know that things like in my tabletop games, I've banned spells like Tiny Hut and Canyon's Mansion. Um but when you're writing, you got to also think, well, that's probably not the case for most game, most game tables. Yeah, for sure. So the, the hazards have to be present, even when they're not resting, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, I love to write that sort of thing in. So days of blight three, there's, there's a point point where they're in the Arctic and the, the temperature is so cold that, that, you know, they, they can't be outside for too long you know? Um, and that was, that was the one that there was a number. I ran it at Gary con 10, I think was it Gary con okay. 10 or 11. It was the, 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 the chapter of days of bite three we ran it. There was my, my take on John Carpenter's the thing. So I yeah. started out my own, my own D and D the thing. And it's, it's in the Arctic and the, the party has to navigate this area to find the portal to get to Hades. So that they can go do their business there, mm-hmm. and uh, so every step of the way through Days of Blight three is just environment, environment, environment. How can I make the environment deadly? Because I think that's a that's something that's missing in a in, from D anD D at least I've seen um, in
0: adventures. Yep, but uh, people don't people don't use the environment. Both players and DMs don't use the environment enough. Um, you know, we concentrate on the orc band or the goblin tribe or the band of bandits, right? Or whatever. We don't think about the terrain. I I've actually posted it, posted a lot about it on Instagram talking about use the environment. It, you know, as a DM, if you know, create an environment where you're in the snow and that snow is, you know, piercing that, that frigid cold is piercing the players, or that the wind is blowing and now they can't see. They have they have an obstruction. Right you know, here. I'm sorry. Oh yeah. Or they can't... can't hear. They can't hear. Um, I mean the, the, you know, whoever's the archer, they can't, you know, they're shooting now at a disadvantage because they can't, they can't see, they can't hear, nor can't when they loosen their arrow, is it going to actually hit the target because of the, um, the high winds in the snow. Right. Now, yeah. then again, it, you know, if you have a, a dwarf, right, a mountain dwarf who perhaps is loving this give them advantage on it make them make it seem where the dwarf is loving the um, is loving the actual fact that they're fighting in the mountain and it reminds them of their childhood you know do, yes. do things of that nature ha, you know it's it's part of having fun but think to yourself the environment is as big of a player and as big of a part of the world as you know the the encounter and those involved themselves
1: yeah and or even you know there's certain things like rangers how many rangers pick the arctic as their favorite terrain probably not a lot none um so you know that would really reward somebody for going outside of the box a little bit you know for sure
0: 100 percent. and actually and you know with that all with that being said it's it's one of those things that as a, and you know, from what you're saying too, it's like as a player, as a DM, it's the call, it's that collaboration. It's that communication of saying, Hey, like if you're a dungeon master, if you're a game master, reward that player for thinking outside of the box for coming out to you and saying, Hey, I want to try this, or I want to do this with my character. You know, there are times where you should reward that. And it's a good thing to do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree that You know, there's just so many times where um, somebody comes up with a great idea and, you know, I'll I'll be talking to someone at a con or whatever about their particular character. and, And they're just like, I just hope my DM runs with this because I spent all this time. I've had players come to me with backstories that were single spaced 10 and 15 pages long.
0: Holy cow.
1: And I'm like, all right, well. I, I, if I don't do something with this, I would, be des- I would deserve to get punched in the face because <laughs> this guy has owned this character.
0: You know? Yeah, absolutely. And- that's something that goes in the hall of heroes, right? You know, that's like you want to be that character. You've put, man, I hate that. I, I mean, I hate hearing that, that players get scared of sharing that with your DM because if I was given that, kind of like what you said, dude, I would... I would get so excited.
1: Yeah. That is a player that is invested in your game. And Absolutely. You need, to re- you need to return that favor.
0: Absolutely. Hence the reason, like, you know, going back full circle, like that's why I love homebrew, because you get to do that. You get to return that. You get to collaborate with your players, and as much as they put in and you put in, it just it kind of has this great – you know, meeting ground, right? they, you know, whatever your player puts in, you can meet and match and, and even go beyond, which then inspires them to do the same and to meet you. And and it just kind of triggers upon one another. So I that's what I love. And oh man, I could I can keep going and going about this. Um yeah, but we
1: could talk for hours about it.
0: And and you know, and that's something, Matt, I appreciate it. You're always welcome to come back on the podcast. Um but for the folks out there listening, please follow the Pickle Dragon um, on Instagram, go to the Pickle Dragon website, thepickledragon.com and support Matt, support Matt um, with these adventures. Again, something really big in the community is, we're, you know, we're supporting one another, um, that's who we are as a community. And especially if you're looking to run something and some games that are a little bit different, that are, you know, I feel that you bring out all the best of the old school gaming for the, for this generation and for the generations, you know, ahead of us. So go check it out y'all. Um, I appreciate, uh, Matt, I appreciate you for hanging out and, and talking with me and just being on the show. Um, they can, and uh, what's the name of your YouTube channel as well so they can subscribe to it.
1: Oh, that's also the pickle dragon. Everything is the pickle dragon. Awesome. So, awesome. Yeah.
0: And yeah, so go follow Matt the Pickle Dragon Instagram, YouTube, and at the website. And folks, if you haven't already, share this podcast with your friends. Be sure to subscribe, leave a review. But as always, folks, keep gaming.